Uh, I want to remind you guys of that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to get situated. As you guys know, this is the reading ramp. What we do every morning is we read through scripture. We've read through Genesis and now we're about, we're at the tail end of the book of Ezekiel. And so we're about done with Ezekiel. Um, and, and so I, you know, what I want to do is, is as I, as I told you before, my passion is to reorient people, to read the scriptures for what it actually says, not for what somebody tells you that it says. I think it's so important, so important that people who, you know, are growing in relationship with Christ actually read this for themselves. Okay. Um, a lot of the misdirection, a lot of the misguiding, a lot of the misuse and a lot of the abuse that we see often in church circles comes from actual ignorance. It doesn't come from the fact that the Bible isn't real or isn't false. It comes from the fact that people have not been encouraged to read the Bible for themselves and to discipline themselves in the reading of the word. And so that's why I do this with y'all. I do this so you guys can read along with me. And maybe you're going to see that. Maybe the Bible didn't say that. Or maybe this is what this meant. When you see the scriptures through the context of the totality of the text, Man, it changes everything. There are verses that people throw at you and you go, wait, hold on, wait, hold on. That's way out of context. That's not what that, what that even means. I hope even as we do our Bible studies on Patreon, um, and I hope it was a blessing to you guys yesterday, but even the Bible studies, I, I hope that you're beginning to see, man, this is, this is making more sense now. Like this whole time I've been reading this and I didn't know that this is what that meant. And these are the implications of what I'm reading. And so I hope that that's what this is doing is that it's giving you perspective. It's um, opening your mind so that you can see maybe this is more than what I thought. And maybe it's not exactly what I thought. And so, um, good morning, Anna. Good to see you. And so, um, I'm glad you guys were all there. There was a lot of folks at Bible study yesterday. So I'm really, really encouraged. I had a whole bunch of folk on discord and I had a whole bunch of you guys on TikTok and on IG. I think there was like 300 of y'all in total on all the platforms, across all the platforms in Bible study. So that's really, really cool. And I'm really, really encouraged that so many of you have made the commitment to, to just read and study the word. Um, so today we're just going to read. So this isn't a Bible study. Okay. This is just a reading. And after we read, I'm just going to share a few thoughts. And one thing I want you guys to do as you read the scripture is now posture yourselves to receive from God. So ask God, Three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Like, make that your prayer. As I read this today, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? What are you learning about God? Second question is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? What are you learning about God's people? And then the third question I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? So let's get to it. Father, I thank you for the privilege that you've given us to come here and to read your word. Lord, I just ask, Lord, as we have people from all over the world right now in this moment reading your word, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would inspire us, Lord, that you would uh, expose us and expose who you are to us. Father, we pray not just for information, but we pray for revelation. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Chapter 40, and it says this, in the 25th year of our captivity, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was captured, on the very same day, 
the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he took me there. In the visions of God, he took me into the land of Israel and set me on very on a very high mountain. On it toward the south was something like the structure of a city. He took me there. And behold, there was a man who has who, whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. He had a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he stood in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you. For you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Declare to the house of Israel everything you see. Now, there was a wall around the outside of the temple. In the man's hand was a measuring rod, six cubits long, each being a cubit and a handbreadth. And he measured the width of the wall structure, one rod, and the height, one rod. Then he went, he went to the gateway which faced the east and went up to the stairs and measured the threshold of the gateway, which was one rod wide, and the other threshold was one rod wide. Each gate chamber was one rod long and one rod wide. Between the gate chambers was a space of five cubits, and the threshold of the gateway by the vestibule of the inside gate was one rod. He also measured the vestibule on the, of the inside gate one rod. Then he measured the vestibule of the gateway eight cubits, and the gate post two cubits. The vestibule of the gate was inside the temple. In the eastern gateway were three gate chambers on one side, sorry, on one side and three on the other. And the three were on the same size. Sorry. And the three were all the same size. Also, the gate posts were of the same size on this side and on that side. He measured the width of the entrance of the gateway, 10 cubits, and the length of the gate, 13 cubits. There was a space in front of the gate chambers, one cubit on this side and one cubit on that side. The gate chambers were six cubits on each side and six cubits on that side. Then he measured the gateway from the roof of one gate chamber to the roof of the other. The width was 25 cubits as the door faces the, sorry, as door faces door. He measured the gate post 60 cubits high and the court all around the gateway extended to the gate post from the front of the entrance gate to the front of the vestibule of the inner gate was five cubits. There was beveled, sorry, there were beveled window frames in, in the gate chambers and in the intervening archways on the inside of the gateway all around, and likewise in the vestibules. There were windows all around on the inside, and on each gate post were palm trees. And he brought me into the outer court, and there were chambers and a pavement made all around the court. Thirty chambers faced the pavement. The pavement was by the side of the gateways corresponding to the length of the gateways. There was a lower pavement. Then he measured the width from the front of the lower gateway to the front of the inner court exterior, 100 cubits toward the east and the north. On the outer court was also a gateway facing north, and, and he measured its length and its width, its gate chambers, three on this side and three on that side. Gate posts and its archways had the same measurements as the first gate. Its length was 50 cubits and its width 25 cubits. Its windows and those of its archways and also its palm trees had the same measure measurements as the gateway facing east. It was ascended by seven steps and its archway was in front of it. The gate of the inner court was opposite to the northern gateway, just as the eastern gateway. And he measured from gateway to gateway 100 cubits. After that, he brought me toward the south, and there was a gate 
and there a gateway was facing south, and he measured his gateposts and archways according to the same measurements. There were windows in it, and its archway was sorry, and its archways all around those windows. Its length was fifty cubits, its width twenty-five cubits. Seven steps led up to it, and its archway was in front of them, and it had palm trees on the gateposts, one on this side and on that side. There was also a gateway in the inner court facing south, and he measured it from gateway to gateway toward the south, 100 cubits. Then he brought me to the inner court, to the southern gateway. He measured the southern gateway according to these same measurements. Also, its gate chambers, its gate posts, its archways were according to these same measurements. There were windows in it and in its archways all around. It was 50 cubits long and 25 cubits wide. There were archways all around, 25 cubits long and 5 cubits wide. Its archways faced the outer court. Palm trees were on its gateposts, and going up to it were eight steps. And he brought me into the inner court facing east. He measured the gateway according to the same measurements. Also, its gate chambers, its gateposts, and its archways were according to these same measurements. And there were windows in it, and in its archways all around. It was 50 cubits long and 50 cubits wide. Its archways faced the outer court, and palm trees were on its gateposts on this side and on that side, and going up to it were eight steps. Then he brought me to the inner court, sorry, to, sorry, then he brought me to the north gateway and measured it according to the same measurements. Also, its gate chambers, its gateposts, and its archways, it had windows all around. Its length was 50 cubits, and its width 25 cubits. Its gateposts faced the outer court. Palm trees were on its gateposts, on this side and on that side, and going up to it were eight steps. There was a chamber, and its, and its entrance by the gateposts of the gateway, where they, where they washed the burnt offering. In the vestibule of the gateway were two tables on this side and two tables on that side, on which to slay the burnt offerings, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. In the outer side, uh, sorry, at the outer side of the vestibule, as one goes up the entrance of the north gateway, there were two tables. And on the other side of the vestibule of the gateway were two tables. Four tables were on this side and four tables on that side. By the side of the gateway, eight tables on which they slaughtered the sacrifices. There were also four tables of hewn stone for the burnt offering, one cubit and a half long, one cubit and a half wide, one cubit. I. On these they laid instruments with each, sorry, with which they slaughtered the burnt offering and the sacrifice. Inside were hooks, a handbreadth wide, fastened all around, and the flesh of the sacrifices were on the table. Outside the inner gate were the chambers for the singers in the inner court, one facing south at the side of the northern gateway and the other facing north, the side of the southern gateway. Then he said to me, this chamber which faces south is for the priests who have charge of the temple. The chamber which faces north is for the priests who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok from the sons of Levi who come near the Lord to minister to him. Verse 47, and he measured the court, 100 cubits long and 100 cubits wide, four square. The altar was in front of the temple. Then he brought me to the vestibule 
of the temple and measure the doorposts of the vestibule. Five cubits on this side and five cubits on that side. And the width of the gateway was three cubits on this side and three cubits on that side. The length of the vestibule was 20 cubits and the width was 11 cubits by the steps which led up to it. There were pillars by the doorposts, one on this side and the other on that side. Chapter 41. Then he brought me into the sanctuary and measured the doorpost six cubits wide on one side and six cubits wide on the other side. And the, oh, sorry, on the other side, the width of the tabernacle. The width of the entry was 10 cubits and the width of the side walls of the entrance were five cubits on this side and five cubits on the other side. And he measured its length, 40 cubits and its width, 20 cubits. Also, he went inside and measured the doorpost two cubits and the entrance six cubits high and the width of the entrance seven cubits. He measured the length 20. So he measured the length 20 cubits and the width 20 cubits beyond the sanctuary and said to me, this is the most holy place. Next, he measured the wall of the temple, six cubits. The width of each side of the chamber all around the temple was four cubits on every side. The side chambers were in were in three stories, one above the other, 30 chambers in each story. They rested on the ledges, which were for the side chambers all around, and they might be supported. Sorry, that they might be supported, but not fastened to the wall of the temple. As one went up from story to story, the side chambers became wider all around because of their supporting ledges in the wall. Of the temple ascended like steps. Therefore, the width of the structure increased as one went up from the lowest story to the highest by way of the middle one. I also saw an elevation all around the temple. It was the foundation of the side chambers, a full rod that is six cubits high. The thickness of the outer wall of the side chambers was five cubits, and so also the remaining entrance by place of the side chambers of the temple. And between it and the wall chambers was the width of 20 cubits all around the temple on every side. The doors, the side chambers opened on the terrace, one door toward the north and another toward the south. And the width of the terrace was five cubits all around. Verse 12. The building that faced the separating courtyard at its western end was 70 cubits wide. And the wall of the building was seven cubits thick all around. and its length 90 cubits verse 13 so he measured the temple 100 cubits long in the separating courtyard with the building and its walls 100 cubits long also the width of the eastern face of the tabernacle including the separating courtyard was 100 cubits he measured <clears throat> the length of the building all around it facing the separating courtyard with its galleries on one side and on the other side, 100 cubits, as well as the inner temple and its porches on the court, their doorposts and the beveled window frames and the galleries all around their three stories opposite the threshold were paneled with wood from the ground to the windows. The windows were covered from the space above the door, even to the inner room, as well as outside and on every wall all around, inside and outside by measure. And it was made by the cherubim and the palm trees. And a palm tree between cherub and cherub. Each cherub had two faces, so that the face of a man was toward the palm tree on one side and the face of a lion toward the palm tree on the other side. Thus, it was made throughout the temple all around, from the floor and 
from the floor to the space above the door. And on the wall of the sanctuary, cherubim and palm trees were carved. The doorposts of the temple were square, as was the front of the sanctuary. Their appearance was similar. The altar was of wood, three cubits high, and its length, two cubits. Its corners, its length, and its sides were of wood. He said to me, this is the table that is before the Lord. The temple and the sanctuary had two doors. The doors had two panels apiece, two folding panels, two panels for one door, two panels for the other door. Cherubim and palm trees were carved on the doors of the temple, just as they were carved on the walls. A wooden canopy was on the front of the vestibule outside. There were beveled window frames and palm trees on one side and on the other, on the sides of the vestibule, also on the side chambers of the temple and on the canopies. Chapter 42. Then he brought me out into the outer court by the way toward the north, and he brought me into the chamber which was opposite the separating courtyard and which was opposite the building toward the north, facing the facing the length, which was 100 cubits. The width was 50 cubits, was the north door. Opposite the inner court of 20 cubits and opposite the pavement of the outer court was gallery against gallery in three stories. In front of the chambers toward the inside was a walk 10 cubits wide at a distance of one cubit, and their doors faced north. Now the upper chambers were shorter because the galleries took away space from them more than from the lower and middle stories of the building, for they were in three stories and did not have pillars like the pillars of the court. Therefore, the upper level was shortened more than the lower and middle levels. And a wall which was outside ran parallel to the chambers at the front of the chambers toward the outer court. Its length was 50 cubits. The length of the chambers toward the outer court was 50 cubits, whereas the facing of the temple was 100 cubits. At the lower chambers was the entrance on the east side as one goes into them from the outer court. Also, there were chambers in the thickness of the wall of the court toward the east, opposite the separating courtyard and opposite the building. There was a walk in front of them also, and their appearance was like the chambers which were toward the north. They were long, they were as long and as wide as the others, and all their exits and entrances were according to plan. And corresponding to the doors and of the chambers, there were there was facing south as one enters them, there was a door in front of the walk, the way directly to in front of the wall toward the east. Then he said to me, The north chambers and the south chambers, which are opposite the separating courtyard, are the holy chambers where the priests who approach the Lord shall eat the most holy offerings. There they shall lay the most holy offerings, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering, for the place is holy. When the priests enter them, they shall not go out of the holy chamber into the outer court, but there they shall leave their garments in which they minister, for they are holy, and they should put on other garments when they may approach approach that which is for the people. Hmm. Now, when he had finished the measuring, sorry, when he had finished measuring the inner temple, he brought me out through the gateway that faces toward the east and measured it all around. He measured the east side with the measuring rod, 500 rods by the measuring rod all around. He measured the north side, 500 rods, and he measured 
the rod all around. He measured the south side 500 rods by the measuring rod. He came around to the west side and the measuring rod 500 by the measuring rod. He measured it four sides. It, it had a wall all around 500 cubits long, 500 cubits wide to separate the holy areas from the common areas. Chapter 43. Afterward, he brought me to the gate. The gate that the faces that faces toward the east, and behold, the glory of the of God of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision when I came to when he sorry when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw at the river Shabar when I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate, which faces toward the east. The spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. <laughs> then I heard him speaking to me from the temple when a man stood beside me. And he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of my of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Nor more shall, no more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, nor their kings by their holy tree or with, their car, or with the carcasses of their kings on their high places. When they set their threshold by my threshold and their doorposts by my doorposts, with a wall between them and me, they defile my holy name by the abominations which they committed. Therefore, I have consumed them in my anger. I have consumed them in my... Sorry. Therefore, I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put their harlotry and their carcasses of their kings far away from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. Mm. Son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel, and they may be ashamed of their iniquities. And let them measure the pattern. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, Make known to them the design of the temple and its arrangement, its exits and its entrance, its entire design and all its ordinances, all its forms and all its laws. Write it down in their sight so that they may keep the whole design and all its ordinances and perform them. This is the law of the temple. The whole area surrounding the mountaintop is most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. Verse 13, these are the measurements of the altar in cubits. The, the cubit is one cubit and a handbreadth. The base, one cubit high and one cubit wide, with the rim all around, its edge of one span. This is the height of the altar, from the base on, to, on the ground to the lower edge, two cubits. The width of the ledge, one cubit. From the smaller ledge to the larger ledge, four cubits. And the width of the ledge, one cubit. The altar hearth is four cubits high with four horns extending upward from the hearth. The altar hearth is 12 cubits long, 12 cubits wide, square at its four corners. The ledge, 14 cubits long and 14 cubits wide on its four sides with a rim, with a rim of half a cubit around it its base one cubit all around and its steps face toward the east 
And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord, these are the ordinances for the altar <clears throat> on the day when it is made for sacrificing burnt offerings on it and for sprinkling blood on it. You shall give a young bull for a sin offering and to the priests, the Levites, who are the seed of Zadok, who approach me to minister to me, says the Lord God. You shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar, on the four corners of the ledge, and on the rim all around it. Thus you shall cleanse it and make atonement for it. Then you shall also take the bowl of the sin offering and burn it within the appointed place of the temple, outside the sanctuary. On the second day, you shall offer a kid of the goats without blemish for the sin offering, and they shall be sorry, and they shall cleanse the altar, and they cleanse it with the bull. When you have finished cleansing it, you shall offer a young bull without blemish, and a ram from the goat without blemish. Then you shall offer them before the Lord. The priest shall throw salt on them, and they will offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. Every day for seven days you shall prepare a goat for a sin offering. They shall also prepare a young bull and a ram from the flock, both without blemish. Seven days shall they make atonement for the altar and purify it, and so consecrate it. <clears throat> and when these days are over, it shall be on the eighth day and thereafter that the priest shall offer your burnt offering and your peace offerings on the altar, and I will accept you, says the Lord. I'll read one more chapter and then we'll call it. Hmm. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces toward the east, but it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened and no man shall enter by it because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. As for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the vestibule of the gateway and go out the same way. Also, he brought me by the way of the north gate to the front of the temple. So I looked and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord and I fell on my face. And God said to me, or and the Lord said to me, son of man, mark well, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, all that I say to you concerning all the ordinances of the house of Israel and all its laws. Mark well who may enter the house and all who go from the sanctuary. Now say to the rebellious, to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, O house of Israel, let us have no more of your abominations. When you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary to defile it, my uh, to defile it, my house, when you offered my food, the fat and the blood, and they broke my covenant because of all your abominations. And you have not kept charge of my holy things, but you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. Thus says the Lord God, no foreigner circumcised in heart or uncircumcised, sorry, no foreigner uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh shall enter my sanctuary. 
including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. Verse 10. And the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity, yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as <clears throat> gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice of the people because they ministered to them before their idols and because the house of Israel Sorry, and cause sorry, and cause the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. Therefore, I've raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, and they shall hear their iniquity, and they shall not come near me to minister to me as priests, nor come near any of my holy things, nor in the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work and for all it has to be done with it. Hmm. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. And it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court that they shall put on linen garments. No wool shall come upon them when they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. They shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their bodies. They shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. When they go out to the inner court. Sorry, when they go out to the outer court, to the outer court of the people, they shall take off their garments, which they have ministered, leave them in the holy chambers and put on other garments. And in their holy garments, they shall not sanctify the people. Nor shall they shave their heads, nor let their hair grow, but they shall keep their hair well trimmed. No priest shall drink wine when he enters the inner court. They shall not take a wife. Sorry, they shall not take as a wife a widow or a divorced woman, but take virgins of descendants of the house of Israel or widows of priests. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge it according to to my judgments, they shall keep my laws and my statutes and my appointed meetings, and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. They shall not defile themselves by coming near a dead person, only for father or mother, for son or daughter, for brother or unmarried sister, may they defile themselves. After he is cleansed, they shall count seven days for him, and on the day that he goes to the sanctuary to minister in the sanctuary, he must offer his sin offering in the inner court, says the Lord. It shall be in regard to their inheritance that I am their inheritance. <clears throat> you shall give them no possession in Israel, for I am their possession. They shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Every dedicated thing in Israel shall be theirs. The best of all first fruits of every kind and every sacrifice of any kind from all your sacrifices shall be the priests. Also, 
you shall give to the priest the first of your ground meal to cause a blessing to rest on your house. The priest shall not eat anything, beast or bird, that died naturally or was torn by wild beasts. I'm going to stop right there. Um, just share some quick thoughts with you. And then we'll be done with Ezekiel on Monday. As you guys know, there's no reading rant tomorrow, but we will have it on Monday. Um, and I'm going to just stop right there and just share a, a few quick thoughts with you guys. Um, first of all, Anna, it, it, you have to know that the, the dimensions are different. Um, they converted the cubits to feet, and that's why you see two different numbers. Hopefully that helps. Um, this is important. Um, you may read this, and this may sound really, really cumbersome. It may sound really obtuse. It's like, okay, why did we go through all these specificities of this construction of this, this temple? Why all these laws, right? Well, why? What's the purpose of all this, right? Um, it's important, again, for us to present some context here. Um, if I even share my thought. Ezekiel is a prophet who is in exile. He's in exile because, again, Israel has been under continual attack over a period of um, about six to seven years. Israel faced consistent and persistent attack from the Babylonians, the Assyrians. They received attack from the Ethiopians. Israel is in the north, Judah being in the south. Remember that David, David's family was fractured. Rehoboam established a nation in the north. So 10 of the tribes of Israel had moved to the north or didn't move to the north, but uh, became a nation in the north, the nation of Israel. Samaria was the capital of that nation. And then Solomon, <clears throat> the legitimate heir by declaration, um, the heir by declaration, uh, ruled the kingdom in the south, which was Judah. And Judah, the capital of Judah, being Jerusalem. And so we've got Samaria in the north, Jerusalem in the south. And of course, we saw persistent attack from the Assyrians, persistent attack from the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, all of that. And so upon every attack, there were exiles that were taken away. And Ezekiel happened to be among those exiles. So, and we read all this. This is in this is what we see in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. We already read this. Now we're going back and seeing it from Ezekiel's perspective. So Ezekiel is in exile. And if you remember, the book opens up with Ezekiel um, having a vision, and this vision that he had, this very explicit vision, was one of God leaving the temple. And so he sees he, he sees this this vision of this glorified person, and and he then sees where this person came from, and this person had come from the temple. God had left the temple, and now met Ezekiel by the side of the river. And so Ezekiel, of course, is chronicling his vision, what he has seen, what he has encountered. And so, of course, you know, Ezekiel, as he's writing this, 
you know, we see what transpires. Ezekiel is warning them that this is the beginning of things. If that Israel does not repent, and if Israel continues to practice their idolatry because God left the temple, in consequence to their idolatry in the temple, they were serving other gods in these temples and performing wicked acts and sacrifices in those temples. And so God, the presence of God had left the temple. Okay. And so because the presence of God had left the temple and now God is giving a promise to Ezekiel that he's establishing and building a remnant. He's establishing a remnant and is the remnant of Israel that isn't actually in Israel. That's going to participate in bringing restoration to Israel. Fast forward. Israel has fallen. Not Israel. Sorry. Israel had already fallen. Samaria had fallen. Judah then falls. Jerusalem falls. Ezekiel warned that this would happen. And so at chapter 33, I believe, yes, chapter 33, we see now the fall of Jerusalem. And now that Ezekiel has gotten the news, after the fall of Jerusalem, now we begin to see a message of hope. Ezekiel begins to prophesy what God's going to do next. Because as we said yesterday, God has to deconstruct everything to rebuild and reconstruct. Deconstruction is the prerequisite of reconstruction. You can't build on something that's already there. That's not reconstruction. That's remodeling. I, you know, again, side note here. A lot of us, we actually don't want God to remake us. What we want is, is we want God to remodel us. We want to be able to keep, you know, the parts of our lives that we like. We want to be able to keep the parts that we want. We want, we want to be able to do our own thing and have our own structure in our own way. If God can just ameliorate, you know, this part of what I, my own little kingdom and this part and that part and this part, when God is saying, no, I've got to destroy the whole thing because I'm not in the business of remodeling. I'm in the business of remaking and I cannot remake something that has, that refuses to be remade. I've got to tear it all down first before I remake it. Some of us want a God who remodels, but God is a God who wants to rebuild. So instead of holding on to everything, how about you let go of everything and let God rebuild and remake you? Let God rebuild and remake you. This is really what the story is in Ezekiel. Is Ezekiel is prophetically speaking into first the sin of Israel, that Israel continues to hold on. And of course, the sins of the neighboring countries, um, the sins of Egypt, and how Babylon was going to be used by God to wipe out that entire area. And so we see now a destruction. Jerusalem is destroyed, and in consequence, not only are the walls destroyed, but the temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed. And now Ezekiel, of course, who is watching this from a distance, Ezekiel's not there. Okay? Ezekiel's in exile. And then Ezekiel receives a vision. And now he goes back. And rather than seeing the temple he saw there before, he sees a new temple. 
He sees a new temple. And so what he does here in this portion of the scripture is, is he begins to write down the, the specificities and the details of the dimensions of this new temple. We see he writes the dimensions of the eastern gateway of the temple. We see that he shows us the dimensions of the outer court of the temple. He shows us the dimensions of the northern gateway and the southern gateway. So we've got the eastern, the northern, the southern gateway. And then we see, then he gives us the dimensions of the inner court. So not just the outer court, but now the inner court. And then we see, this all sounds familiar in many ways. It just looks like now a temple that's a little bit more elaborate than what was there before. We are, again, let me, before I even get to that thought, we see now a temple that's built. A dimension of a temple that he's envisioning that's much more elaborate, much larger than the temple that we had seen before. We saw the dimensions and the construction of the temple um, in, 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 in First Kings and Second Kings. And we saw Solomon, who was given these instructions, um, not just First Kings, Second Kings, but in First and Second Chronicles. I'm trying to remember specifically where I can't remember right now off the top of my head. But we know that the dimensions were given and that Solomon built the temple because David, of course, had blood on his hands and David could not build it. Solomon builds a temple, but now this new temple is a much more elaborate temple. And now this much more elaborate temple has all the additional accoutrements. It has all, I mean, it has, it's just beautiful. It's got stories now. Three stories from what I read, unless you guys were reading what I was reading. Which brings me to a thought. As we're reading this, when God is doing something new in your life, he's got to first strip away the old. A lot of us want God to simply remodel and improve what you had before. But God often has a vision for you. That's way bigger than what you have right now. But God cannot build because you're still holding on to what you got right here in the moment. Please stay with me, fam, because I want you to understand this. God is not in the business of remodeling your life. He's in the business of rebuilding your life. When God says, I want to do a new thing. He's not trying to improve the old thing. He's trying to do away with the old to do something new. Because what God sees for you is way bigger than what you have. And so because what God has in store for you is way bigger than what you have right now, he's got to dismantle it because you don't have the structure yet to sustain what God wants to do moving forward. See, when God does a new thing, he does a better thing. And for a lot of us, we just want God to remodel, but God's vision for you is so much bigger. He wants to rebuild. God can't rebuild unless he tears down. For some of you, you're still holding on to what is there and holding on to what is there is limiting what God wants to actually do. 
I hope somebody's catching what I'm saying here. This new structure cannot be built on top of the old structure. This new, this new temple cannot be build, built on top of the old temple. The old temple's got to go. What if your season of loss is a season of preparation? What if the season when you thought the enemy was destroying you was really God using someone to wipe out what is there to prepare for something way bigger and way greater for your life? What if the enemy may have tried to come to steal, to kill, and to destroy? But what God was doing is preparing a life in a abundance for you. Your season of loss is not the end. It's just a season. And maybe your season of loss was actually a season of preparation for the greater and bigger thing that God has in store for you. Israel has a greater and bigger thing than what they've seen before. And maybe it took the enemy tearing down everything in order now for the institution of this new temple. There are so many theological debates on whether or not this is a symbol, this is symbolic or whether it's literal. But what we can see here is that the dimensions are very, very specific and the dimensions look way bigger, way greater than what is there. We see the dimensions of the sanctuary, the inner and outer vestibules. We see all these beautiful dimensions that go way beyond a more intricate design, a way greater design, because God is making room for something greater. He's making room for something bigger. Israel, this is all, again, we're not here to take away and discount Israel's sin is what brought Israel here, but the hope of God is way greater than Israel's sin. God is doing something greater, something better. <laughs> God is working miracles even in the midst of the mess. Sorry, fam. I'm ranting. And we see this continue. We're reading this and we just read through these chapters. And at first you're like, okay, it's a lot. But just think about this for a moment. This is way bigger than what was there before. Way bigger than what was there before. The temple area, all these designs. And then we get to the chambers for the priests. Ooh, that's another conversation for another day. I will point out to this. We see that the priests have been given these chambers. And in these chambers are where they would have their meeting or their encounter with God. Remember, the priests represented the mediators between God and the people. They came to God on behalf of the people, and then they would go to the people on behalf of God. And so they were the mediators, the communicators. They would come to God with sacrifices for the people. They would come to God to hear from God, to worship God. And so the priests would enter into the holy chamber. And there were specific rules and ordinances that they had to follow with how they would enter in bringing light to the fact that you can't come before the presence of God. 
without coming correct. And so now he says, for this place is holy. When the priests enter them, they shall not go. Verse 14 and 42, they shall not go out to the holy chain. Once they enter into the presence of God, how they exit matters. When the priests go and enter them, they shall not go out to the holy chamber into the outer court. But when they leave, they have to leave their garments, which they ministered for now. The garments were holy. It's another conversation for another day. Oh, yeah, Asia, we're going to get there in a minute. We're going to get there in a minute. We don't, you know, the thing that's unfortunate is we, we don't get a chance to read through the whole Bible every day. And so I have to sometimes insert reminders here. This ain't talking about you. This is talking about them. We'll make sure y'all understand that, okay? This is what was demanded of the priests. The rest of the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, weren't even permitted to come into the presence of God, no matter how they dressed. A priest had to come on their behalf. Okay, and the priests who came on their behalf had to come correct. So please do not read this. And I thank you for Asia for pointing this out. Do not read this and think, well, because they had to come correct to come before the presence of God. This says that I got to come correct. And so I got to, you know, dress a certain way, do a certain thing. Uh, That's not what we're saying here. We're saying they had to come correct. with the holy garments. (laughs) Y'all understanding? They had to come correct. It's also important to point out, since we're already here, I feel like I'm going to Bible study mode here, but it's okay. Sometimes my patrons do that to me. Um, It's not just that they had to come correct. They couldn't even come before God without the priest. If you want some hope in that, just go to the book of Hebrews, read through the book of Hebrews, you know, read it in your own time because the priesthood was done away with because someone came on our behalf and because of him, now that we are in him, we've given the privilege now to come correct before God every time because we come clothed with Christ. Jesus is our mediator. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. Jesus is our priest. You don't need to go to a priest to get to God. You have direct access to God through Jesus. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that mediator came without spot and without blemish, came correct with the sacrifices. So you don't need a priest. Understand this. I'm just telling you what they are dealing with here. Okay, they had to come correct. And this is what religion does. Religion sees what they have to do. And they say, well, you have to do what they did. Wrong. What they're actually doing is they're pointing to the greater picture of what God actually accomplished for humanity. He says, they shall leave their garments, which they minister, for they are holy. They shall put on their garments that they may approach that which is for the people. So they had to actually change their garments just to approach the people. 
again, creating another degree of separation between God and mediator, mediator to God. Man to mediator, sorry, mediator to God. Adding now two degrees of separation. And this temple now that is built, the temple has become now the place where God would return. Now notice what he says here. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. So God now, who met him by the river Shabar at the beginning of the book, now he sees the same vision of this messianic character. He says the visions in, in verse, look at verse three. He says, um, in verse three, he says, the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Shabar. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came, when I came to destroy the city. This is the same vision, but now he starts from not the river to the temple, but now he's at the temple and this vision is coming from the river. And the spirit then lifted him up, brought him into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. God is coming back. He's coming back to a newer temple, a more beautiful temple, a more elaborate temple. But is it the beauty and the elaborate nature of the temple that matters? No, because we had an elaborate temple before and God still had to leave. It is the people in it and what they did in it. He says in verse nine, now let them put their harlotry and the carcasses of their kings away from me and I will dwell in their midst forever. Wait, did he say I will dwell in the temple forever? Or will I dwell in their midst forever? They will forever be in my presence when they put away their harlotry and put away the carcasses of their kings. He's saying, just put away your idolatry and I will dwell with you forever. This is the beginning of the promise. Then in verse 13, we see now he begins to speak about the dimensions of the altar. So we see the temple. I was going to do a little quick Bible study here. We see the temple. Then we see the altar. And then after the altar, we see now the east gate and we see the priest. So we've got the temple, we've got the altar, and we have the priest. Temple, altar, priest, temple, altar, priest, temple, altar, priest, temple, altar, priest. All the three things that are necessary for religion. You need a temple. If y'all ever get a chance, go on the Patreon, go check the golden idols of religion, temple, altar, priest, temple, tap. Thank you. Temple, altar, priest. We did a whole Bible study on this, the, the idols of the church, the temple for many, because we still have temple thinking people who think that you need a temple to worship God. Or you, you need to go to a church to worship God. There's still people who, who believe that. There are Christians who believe that. So you need to go to a church to worship God. But think about this for a second. 
if I need a temple, why do I need a temple? Because that's where God is. Well, if God is there, then who helps me enter into the presence of God? You need a priest for that. So what are we going to do to the temp in the temple? We're going to perform sacrifices. Well, how do I perform sacrifices at a temple? Well, you need a priest for that. The temple and the altar and the priest are the key elements of religion. The key elements of religion. Jesus did away with all three of those things. Jesus did away with the temple. Jesus did away with the priest. Jesus did away with the sacrifice. Jesus did away with the sacrifice because he's the one sacrifice now that satisfies all sacrifices. Not a single one of us has to perform a sacrifice to God because Jesus was the sacrifice that, sac that satisfied all sacrifices. If Jesus is the sacrifice that satisfied all sacrifices, then why do we need a priest? Well, it's because you don't. Because Jesus is the high priest for which now we have become a nation of priests. What does he say in the scriptures in, 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 in 1 Peter chapter 2? He says, you are the royal priesthood. We are all a nation of priests. We don't need a priest to go to God. We have direct access to God <laughs> through Christ. There is only one high priest, and the one high priest was a sacrifice who performed it himself. He made the sacrifice himself and performed it on the cross. And because he performed the sacrifice on the cross, he did away with the temple. How do we know that? Because the scriptures tell us that in Christ, we are the temple of God. We are actually the temple that now house the presence of God. As a matter of fact, I know we, we, we did this in our Bible study. And, you know, if you get a chance, we can, you can go back and, and watch that Bible study and, and attend to that Bible study. But what did we say? Jesus even spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. What did he say to her? He said, he said, the day will come when you will worship God, not in Jerusalem and not on this mountain, but that those who will worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. What did, what did Stephen say right before he was being martyred? Stephen said, Stephen said, that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. Y'all remember that, right? Have my, where are my patrons at? Come on, my Patreons. Y'all y'all were there for Bible study. I hope y'all were there for Bible study. So y'all, we did this already. That God does not dwell in temples made with hands. So, by logical deduction, if you see a temple made with hands, God does not dwell there. <laughs> Did you hear me? If you see a temple built with hands, God doesn't dwell there. <laughs> Paul said it. God does not dwell in temples made with hands, family. We read this and we quickly fall into religious thinking and we're missing the whole point of this. We got something so much better 
than what the Israelites had. We've got so, something so much better than what the Hebrews have. We have Jesus. And because we have Jesus, we are not confined to religion. I forgot who I, I blame Asia for setting me off. Some one of y'all asked the question. Now y'all got me, y'all got me set off. Y'all got me going. Y'all got me riled up. This is your fault. <laughs> this is all your fault. Somebody asked the question and, oh gosh, I'm over time. When would, what the, it's 830. Okay. I got to go. Jesus Christ. Y'all, y'all going to get me in trouble. I got, I got I got a whole bunch of stuff to do today. We have our private gathering today, fam, today. Um, we have our first closed gathering in our new space. And so we're going to be testing it out. And uh, so I got a day ahead of me, y'all. So keep me in prayer. But we're really excited about this new space that we have here since we moved to Tampa. And we're planning um, to, uh, we'll be launching our, our, our church probably sometime early next year, but we're getting ramped up. So um, but let, let me say this. Maybe it's the Lord. Maybe it's the Lord that's got me. Because I had no intention to, to go here, but I, I just feel a pull to go here because so many of us are still fixated on Old Testament covenantal thinking, Old Testament law and covenantal thinking, not realizing that Jesus fulfilled the law. What does that mean? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, meaning all of this was critically important for us to understand the necessity for us as people of God. However, we are not confined to this because Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it, meaning he did it. He did what we could not do. Israel could not do this. Israel continued to fail over and over again. And we missed the whole point of the text that what, 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 what this is exposing and revealing is that humanity without a new heart, without the spirit of God, cannot perform these laws. And so if Jesus did away with the temple, the question I think a lot of people wrestle with is, well, then why do I go to church? First of all, you don't go to church. Get that out of your head. Please remove that thinking out of your mind. You don't go to church. Anybody who still thinks that they're going to church doesn't understand that the, that the word go to church does not exist in the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you, if you spoke to the early Christians in the book of Acts and you said, we're going to church, they would look at you confused because church is not a location. The church is not confined to a location. There's no location for the church. Church is the people, the ecclesia, the people. So if you feel like you have to go to church to worship God, you're already doing it wrong. God does not even exist in the walls, in the building. God exists in you. You know what? Let's just, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm just going to do it. Maybe it's just the Lord leading me here, but let me, let me just give you, because uh, I know what I'm saying almost sounds heretical, 
right? Uh, let's see here. What is the church? Let's see here. Hold on. Uh, go to Ephesians, and 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 I'm, I'm, I gotta go. But I, you know what? I'm already way over time. But I, I, I gotta go. I know I gotta go. And some of y'all gotta go. And if you gotta go, just go. It's cool. I'm I'm okay. But this is for somebody who needs to hear this. Um, go to Ephesians chapter one. Okay, and I want you to read the last two verses. And it says this, and I'll read it for you in verse 22 and 23. It says, and he put all things under his feet. So I'm a Christ now. We're doing a Bible study in Ephesians. I just realized that and I'm, I'm, I'm breaking some rules here because we're going to Ephesians. But, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. What is the church? His body. The church is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, the ecclesia, is the fullness of Jesus. Not a part of Jesus. Not an extension of Jesus. The fullness of Jesus. That means that we are together the fullness of Jesus. If you want to find Jesus, find his people. If you want to find Jesus, find the ecclesia, the gathering of, of people. Here's the thing. We are called to gather together because the body must have all its members together. We can gather. It doesn't matter where you are. Where a gathering of spirit-filled people come, that is the church. So if a bunch of spirit-filled folks showed up on a mountain, that is now the church. If wherever you go, let's put it like this, wherever you go, it becomes the church. If two or three gather and show up at a bathroom, it's now the church. If a few folks show up and, you know, wherever they are at the mall, guess what that's become? The church. The church is not a location. The church is everywhere. It is the fullness of Christ. Discord is a church. <laughs> There's a church right here, right now. Did you not know this is the church right here? I'm sorry, y'all. I got to go. I say all that because as we're reading it and, and we're, we're going to close out on this on Monday. Okay. We're going to close out on this on Monday, but this is so important for you to see is, is that as we, as we read this, we don't read this going, oh my gosh, this is so hard. No, we read this because we know how this ends. If y'all been doing the reading rant with me, you know how this ends. You know what this is about. Jesus did away with all of this. But this really, what this does is, is that it gives us perspective. It helps us understand what Israel was waiting for. It helps us understand what, what Israel was aspiring towards. It helps us look and go, I see now why Israel was the way that Israel was. 
I see now when Jesus shows up, when Jesus finally shows up, he comes at a moment where the anticipation of Israel has bubbled up, and yet it also comes against the powers and the forces of the Roman Empire. And now you begin to see this clashing of two worlds meeting together, the full power and force of the Roman Empire and the and the and the nuclear power of Hebrew anticipation for the coming of the kingdom. And in the middle of that is the cross. Right there at the center of it is the cross. Dismantling both. The cross dismantled. This was, this is, uh, this is the foundations of the world that we talked about yesterday in our Bible study. And this is why Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So fam, be encouraged. Be encouraged, fam. You are the church. And this temple that is being built, there's a better temple. It's in you. And if there's anything that we see here is God is doing a greater thing. He's destroying an old thing to build a better thing. And now he's built a temple that is not made with man's hands. This is all scripture. Go back to that Bible study. That if you read that, if you if you attend that Bible study, check out that Bible study on Patreon. And now you read this, man, you feel so much better about what you're reading. Stop going to church. Start being the church. When you when once you are the church, of course we gather together. Of course we worship together. We do not forsake the fellowship of brethren. We do that regularly. We should do that regularly. But if you think that you're going to church, got it wrong, fam. You got to be the church. There's more church happening on Monday through Saturday than can ever happen on a Sunday. And more church needs to happen on a Monday through Saturday than on a Sunday. And some of you are still waiting to go to church when God's saying, bring the church where you are, where you work, where you live, where you play. Bring the church there. Bring the church to the hospital room. Bring the church to the operation room. Bring the church to the, to the board room. Bring the power, the presence of God to the bar. Bring it everywhere. You don't need to go overseas to be on mission. You are on mission right now. Bring the church to your home. Bring the church to your neighborhood. Bring the church everywhere you go. Bring the church to the playground. You are the church. Stop hiding it. Expose it. Creation is waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. Creation is waiting on you. I'm ranting. Father, I ask that you uh, Lord, attend to us today. Or even as we read this, Lord, seeing how elaborate and meticulous these dimensions are for this temple that Ezekiel is envisioning. We know, Lord, that you have a bigger vision 
for your church, for your people. So Father, today let us be encouraged to know, Lord, that you are just beginning. We know that if you are beginning, you will complete it. So complete it in us today. Encourage us today to be the church where we go. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to encourage you to become a patron. Just click the link in the bio, patreon.com. You may not think $10 is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It makes a big difference. Um, consider that. Consider subscribing. If you're not ready to do that, subscribe. Um, I look forward to connecting with you guys. And, and, and join our Discord community. That's free. <laughs> join our Discord community. I love my Discord people. They're over here uh, giving Tammy your happy birthdays. I love that. Um, join our Discord community. Okay. Uh, love for you guys to continue to connect and, um, and text me 954-231-1848. I was giving like two other numbers. 954-231-1848. Love y'all family. God bless you guys. Peace out.